0: This week I was sent an amusing flyer. For those who can't see the screen or will be listening to this on a recording or can't read the writing, it it features a well-dressed young man and he's saying, I need a belief system that serves my needs right away. And underneath it tells you a bit about him. It's what it says. Dean Sachs has a mortgage, a family and an extremely demanding job. What he doesn't need is a religion that complicates his life with unreasonable ethical demands. Spiritual providers in the past have required a huge amount of commitment, single deity clauses, compulsory goodness, and a litany of mystifying mumbo-jumbo. It's no wonder people are switching to mammon. Mammon isn't the biggest player in the spiritual race, but our, our ability to deliver on our promises is unique and our moral flexibility unmatchable. Mammon because you deserve to enjoy life guilt free. Now I'm pretty sure it's a spoof but it reflects the philosophy of many people today whether or not they would endorse it so blatantly and today as we launch our 40 days of purpose program We begin, and we began this morning, with the fundamental question that human beings, and as far as we know, only human beings, ask. Why on earth am I here? And the answer many people give today is mammon, although we probably wouldn't use that rather quaint, old-fashioned word. In actual fact, the word mammon found currency in the words of Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount in which he describes the contrasting choices we face in life. It's what Jesus said. No man can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Uh, Modern versions of the Bible translate mammon as money. But either way, the point is obvious. You'll either serve God or you'll serve mammon and your choice will be determined by what you believe your purpose in life is. Your purpose determines your priorities. You will either live for God or live for yourself, but you can't do both, says Jesus. And Jesus highlighted this contrast on many occasions, and I want to look at one very simply this evening, in one of his famous stories, or parables as they were called. And I want to suggest it's a parable about purpose. And you'll find it in the Bible, and it will help to have a Bible in front of you, uh, to follow where we're going and to make sure that I'm following the text myself. So, if you have a Bible, there are Bibles in the pews. If you turn to Luke chapter 12, and it's page 104.5. Luke chapter 12. Now, just going back a little bit, we learn that crowds of people were flocking to hear Jesus teach and preach. In fact, verse 1 says, there were so many that they were trampling on one another. And Jesus has been speaking about momentous issues. He's been talking about life and death, heaven and hell. He's been telling people, you need to listen to what I'm saying. You need to fear God who has the power to cast your body and soul into hell. These are big issues. And you can imagine the scene as people are hanging on his every word. They've never heard such powerful preaching before. And I want you to picture the scene. And there's Jesus talking about these tremendous issues. And maybe he pauses for breath. And in the pause, a man in the crowd suddenly sticks up his hand, and he asks a question. Or he has a request. Here we are, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Here is a man whose request reflects his purpose and his priorities in life. As the famous saying goes, where there's a will, there's a relative. And his father has died and his brother won't give him his share in the family fortune. So, he wants Jesus to sort out the dispute, to sort out, in fact, his brother. Now, notice the answer of Jesus, which reveals that his purpose is very different from that of the man. And what the man thinks it is. Verse 14, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus warns this man and us that we can have the wrong purpose in life. To believe that the acquisition of material things is what matters most and so to make this our priority in life to get more. And to illustrate the point, he tells one of his famous parable. So let's read the parable. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Now notice the conclusion. is the point of the parable. Jesus says, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Once again we see that Jesus says there are two ways to live. You can, like the man in the story, live for yourself. And so make it your goal to store up things for yourself. In contrast, you can be a person whose focus is on living for God, so your goal, your purpose, is to become rich towards God. And I simply this evening and the remainder of the time just want to unpack these two options to try and explain them clearly if I can and get each one of us to think which of these most closely describes me. And I hope we'll answer our question why on earth am I here? First of all Jesus describes the wrong purpose in life which is living for yourself. The main character in the story he tells is a rich man. Whether his wealth was inherited or earned, we don't know. What we do know is that he's rich and getting richer. There is no recession in his economy. Just a boom period. This particular year, he has a bumper crop, a huge harvest from his fields. So much so, he doesn't even have room to store his crops. What is he to do? Well, he doesn't need to consult a financial advisor to get the answer. It's obvious. He must expand his business and build bigger barns for his crops and bigger storehouses to safeguard all his wealth. And in fact, when he comes to think about it, he has more money and more resources than he can ever spend. So what's the point, in fact, of working any longer? Why not take early retirement? And he said to himself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. Now stop there a moment. Isn't that a smart move? Is he not a wise man? But notice what God said to him. God said, bad choice. You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This man thought he was smart. The world thought he was wise. But God said he was a fool. Now, why did God give that verdict on this man's life? Because he's like many people in our society today, is he not? Maybe like many of us here. Let me give you three reasons for God's verdict on this man and his purpose. They're linked together. The first is, this man is concerned only with the material. This man is a materialist at heart through and through. All there is in life for him is possessions. You notice the words riches, crops, barns, goods, food, drink. And so he lives for them alone and is obsessed by them. Riches and wealth have the power to blind people to any other reality. That's why Jesus constantly said it is extremely difficult for rich people to get into God's kingdom. And that's why he talked about, you know, easier for camels to get through eyes of needles than rich men to get into the kingdom of heaven. And the man who asked Jesus to intervene on his behalf was similarly obsessed by the prospect of wealth and very distressed by the prospect that he was losing out on it. And Jesus tells him and us, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of grief, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's very interesting, isn't it? This was said almost 2,000 years ago, and yet the same kind of attitudes and problems are still with us today, perhaps even more so. It's a sad but true fact, and I think I'm accurate in saying this, that every election in this country since the war has been decided supremely on one question. Under which political party will I be better off? But life is far more than the material. Material things have no lasting value. And human beings are more than material beings. We are spiritual beings, moral beings, And so our priority should be on spiritual things, says Jesus, which endure. And that leads to a second reason why Jesus said this man was a fool. He was concerned not only with the material, he was concerned only with the temporal. But when he said to himself again, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. He thought that time was a commodity, like his goods. And he thought... I've got plenty of it. He never gave a thought to eternity on what might follow his life here on earth. In fact, like many a fool, he never even thought about the end of his life. Yes, he said, eat, drink and be merry, but he never added to himself, for tomorrow we die. And who knows when tomorrow may be for every individual. And yet, is this not conventional wisdom? Man is just an animal, Life is just this life, it has no meaning beyond this life. Once you're dead, that's it. Oblivion. What a shock for the man to discover, too late, that he was wrong. Not only did he discover he was a fool to have been concerned only with the material and the temporal, but thirdly and supremely he was a fool because he was concerned only with the personal. Look again at his speech. Let's just read it together. and Notice where where, where the emphasis is. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store my grain, my goods. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. He even thought to himself and he talked to himself. He never gave God a thought in his life and in all his plans. The Bible describes such a person as a fool. Twice in almost identical Psalms in the Hebrew hymn book, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, both begin with the same words. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Just think about this man. He never paid any attention to God at all. He never listened to God until he finally was forced to, when death caught him unawares, and the first words he was finally forced to hear from God were, you fool. Now sadly today many people live like this man. They never give God a thought, or if they do, they never give him any meaningful place in their lives. Even when God speaks to them through the joys and pleasures of life, they turn a deaf ear. This past year we've had many people who've had babies in this church. Mostly boys for some reason. There's no particular reason for this. We're not sure if it's the coffee or or the communion wine or whatever. But anyway, I always say the same thing to people who have children, particularly fathers to men. I say to them were you present for the birth of that child? And they say yes. And I say to them you not find it hard to watch the birth of a child and not to believe in God? Most remarkable experience. Moving. Humbling experience. Yet through the joys we ignore God. And then when God speaks to us, or even shouts to us more loudly through adversity, we turn around and say, Why has God done this to me? I've never bothered Him before. Exactly. We are made in purpose to know God, to love God, to serve God. And Jesus says we are fools to live as if He did not exist. And I simply say to you, as kindly as I can, maybe as such a person, Living only for this life. Living for material gain. Living for yourself. Maybe that's your big plan in life. Those of you students, when you graduate, it's going to be the mega job. You won't be saying big mac and fries to anybody, you know. You're going to go and work with Raymond in the bank, you know, and to, you know, with the shares and everything else. Maybe you're older and you've already made it. If you've already paid off your mortgage. You know, watch that guy the other day, how to pay for your mortgage in two years. Incredible. Maybe you're older and you've made it. And in the eyes of society in our world, people look at you and say, Wow, you're doing really well. But if you're living without God, God says to you, You fool. And I simply ask you kindly this evening, by what Jesus says, by his assessment, are you a fool? can I say for your encouragement that if you're hearing this this evening paying attention not to what I'm saying but maybe what God is saying to you just be thankful he's saying it now not at the end of your life when it's too late. Living for yourself is the wrong purpose. So, what's the right purpose? If the rich man in the parable is a fool who's the wise man? He's the person Jesus concludes with. The person, he says, verse 21, who is rich towards God. Let's try and unpack that a moment and think about the right purpose, which is living for God. You see, all of us are guilty. Myself, along with all of you, we are all guilty of living like this man. At the heart of our problem, we live for ourselves. Instead of for God, we are self-centred and the root of our problems is what the bible calls sin and at the heart of sin is the capital i now possessions and wealth may not be your big problem however you can be born poor and die poor but this will not automatically make you rich towards god no if god is not at the center of our lives our focus our purpose then we will put something else or someone else in that place that's why, in one of his letters, Paul, the apostle, the messenger of Jesus, wrote a lot of the New Testament, uh, says that greed or covetousness, wanting more, is idolatry. Or an idol is making some kind of statue and worshipping it. No, an idol is putting anything in the place that only God should occupy. And by nature, we are idolatrous, we live for ourselves. And if we're to change to a right purpose to live for God, we need to recognize that. To put it in terms of riches, we need to recognize our spiritual poverty. We are all paupers as far as God is concerned. We have no resources in the bank of heaven. We are bankrupt before God and going deeper into debt and we can't even pay off the interest, let alone the capital. God's verdict is there is no one righteous, not even one. That's the first step to recognise that, if we're to change purpose. That's the bad news, but the good news is this. As Paul writes in another of his letters, God is rich in mercy. It's in Ephesians 2 verse 3. And God sent his son Jesus into the world to pay the debt we could never pay in order that we might become rich towards God. So if we're to change our purpose from living for ourselves to living for God, we must first of all recognise our spiritual poverty and secondly we receive those riches that Christ offers to us. A right relationship with God. In another of his letters, the Apostle Paul reminds the Christians in Corinth about what they've experienced. The people in Corinth were a ragbag of society. Corinth was a city in the ancient world that was known for its gross Immorality, And in the letter he actually describes the kind of people who were in the congregation, what they used to be like. But he says this, these wonderful words. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The Lord Jesus Christ became poor when he left the glory of heaven, his rights as the Son of God, laid them aside, came into our world, and died a criminal's death on a cross, paying our debt. And now through faith in Him, as we commit our lives, as Raymond was describing it, we cross that line of commitment to Christ, we can become rich towards God. We can be right with God. And these riches are a gift from God. They're not cheap. But they are free. We receive them with empty hands. And I ask you this evening, do you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you experienced that for yourself, that transformation? Your life has been turned around to a new purpose. Instead of living for yourself, you've been turned around. The Bible calls it repentance, a change of mind, a change of direction. Are you living for God? Think of another parable, a well-known one that Jesus told, the one about the prodigal son, who wasted all the riches of his family, ended up living as a pauper in a pigsty. And yet when he returned to his father and confessed his sin, he was forgiven and restored, and he was given back all that he needed, which he didn't deserve. He was restored as a son in the favour of his Father. And when we come in the same way to Christ, we receive all the riches of God. We become rich as far as God is concerned. Not in our own resources, but those the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when that happens, our changed purpose leads to a change in our priorities. Exactly the opposite of those of the rich man in the parable. First of all, instead of focusing now on material things, we focus on spiritual things. Again, in his great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your focus? Is it really on material things? Or is it on spiritual things, on treasures in heaven? And because these are treasures in heaven, we recognise that this life is not all there is. It's a preparation for eternity, eons of time, limitless time. So our perspective in life changes from the temporal to the eternal. Again, the Apostle Paul writes to Christians in Corinth, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. We have a different value system if you like. We live in the light of the fact that this life is not all that there is. But eternity awaits and so we are willing to manage without many things in this life. We are willing as many Christians are in the world today to suffer persecution and loss of career and employment and family and inconveniences and sometimes a loss of material things for we have a different purpose in life we recognise that one day this life will be over and like this rich fool in the parable all of us will stand before God that same letter to the Christians in Corinth says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body whether good or bad so we live thirdly not for ourselves but for God and our goal is to please the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God because we owe him so much for so Christ's love compels us says Paul because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again so who are you living for? What's your purpose in life? Is it to please yourself? Or is it to please God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? And one of the main ways we live for Him is by sharing with others that they too might have a change in purpose in life. As we share the good news of Jesus Christ, this is why this church exists, it's why we're in Christianity Explored, it's why we're doing this course, so that other people might have a new direction in life. Why? Because, again, the same letter 2 Corinthians 5 if anyone is in Christ he's a new creation the old has gone the the old has gone the new has come all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation and he says when you become a Christian you've got a new job description you're an ambassador the privileged position not for an earthly king but for Christ and his kingdom we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him, Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So as I stand here in this pulpit, I appeal to you, be reconciled to God. Turn from your enemy and rebellion against God, your enmity. And receive God's peace terms. Be reconciled to God through Christ. Oh, I've almost finished. There are two contrasting purposes then by which we can live our lives. We can live for ourselves or we can live for Christ. Interesting, wouldn't it? I'm not going to do it. You just get you put your hand up which of these you believe you're following this evening. What is your purpose in life? And I simply want to say that probably many of us would say my purpose is to live for Christ. The proof is not when you raise your hand, it's not in what you say, important though that may be, it's whether your life backs up what you say and whether it's seen in how you live. This week also I received a story from America which made me smile but it also challenged me. Let me read it to you it's from the States. I'll state with a British accent. A police officer pulled a driver aside and asked for his license and registration. What's wrong officer? The driver asked. I didn't go through any red lights. I certainly wasn't speeding. No, you weren't, said the officer, but I saw you waving your fist as you swerved around the lady driving in the left-hand lane, and I further observed your flushed and angry face as you shouted at the driver of the Hummer who cut you off, and I saw how you pounded your steering wheel when the traffic came to a stop near the bridge. Is that a crime officer? No, but when I saw the Jesus loves you and so do I bumper sticker on the car, I... I figured this car had to be stolen. (laughs) What the driver claimed was contradicted by how he behaved. If you claim to be living for Christ, that's your purpose and not yourself, is it contradicted by your lifestyle? Are you storing up treasure on earth or in heaven? Are you really living with eternity in view, recognizing that at any moment, and only God knows, you could be called to stand before God and give an account of the things done in the body, whether good or evil? Are you really living for Christ, am I? Or are you living for yourself? Our hope is during these 40 days we might be more focused on what it means to have a purpose to live for Christ, not for yourself. Raymond said in his testimony, as he shared, all of us have a lot more to learn. And we do that together over these days and weeks. And I hope it'll help us to live up, to practice what we preach. But in the last analysis, The only accurate answer to the question, what is your purpose? Who have you been living your life for? Will be at the final judgment and it will be a place of contrasting verdicts. What will God say to you? Will he say as he did to the rich man in the story, you fool? Or will he say in words from another parable, well done, good and faithful Surfing. Let's pray for you.